0: Greetings. You are listening to
1: Almost 30 Podcast. Hi, everybody. How you feeling? It's Lindsay and Krista. We're the hosts, founders. We're the leaders.
2: We're the gurus.
1: <laughs> yeah, literally. We're
0: who you all want to be. <laughs> 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 we're your yeah. biggest inspirations. We're
1: all of it. It's crazy that there are people that actually they feel it. that way and believe. Not about us. Yes. But about themselves.
0: Yes. Oh, yeah, yeah, yeah. That would say that and be like, that's why I don't fuck with guru stuff. I'm just like, y'all... Too much. Totally. How can you even say that nowadays? Because I guess someone could be a guru, but I'm just like, aren't we done with that? Totally. Whole but there are some people
1: that really, I feel like, seek that
0: external mm-hmm. leader or er, for sure. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I'm like posting on Instagram. <laughs> 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 I'm, like,
1: <"Ugh." laughs> I'm like, like my real.
0: <laughs> oh, I'm excited about today's conversation. Oh, man. I left. This interview with Sarah Hill, sad. I, I, was. <laughs> I was buzzing. I love her. She's incredible. So the conversation around birth control and contraception and even fertility, we've been having for a while on the podcast. Um, women's hormone health, we've probably been talking about for four years now with folks like Elisa Vidi, Candace Birch, we've had on. Um, you and I have shared about our hormone journeys. Mm-hmm. I've shared about healing my hormones naturally and we are people that really want to explore this topic. It's really important for women's health. It's really important for us to just stay abreast of current research and conversation around it. But I think for me, being able to understand my hormones and my body has been incredibly empowering. Yes. And even if you are on birth control or on some sort of contraceptive that works for you, understanding and
1: respecting the cycles of your body is so important. Yeah. I've known about this for years and have learned so much since going off birth control. But when I interviewed Ricky Lake and her co-producer of the business of birth control, I just, I think my eyes opened to kind of the complex layers of the, not only invention of birth control, Mm -hmm. but like the time at which it happened, what was going on as far as like the women's movement. And how incredibly at the time empowering it was, you know, there's layers to that of it affecting our mental health, our physical health. Yeah. Just to look at it now, like from a bird's eye view, I was like, wow, this is crazy. Like, it's just, it's a pretty, pretty wild and complex thing. So I just thought so much about, wow, when the point at which I went on birth control at 18, I was entering college Mm -hmm. and just how that layered onto a new experience at college being like totally on my own free and just how that affected my emotional health, my ability to focus in school, my ability to like choose different partners and how that is affected. Yeah. Just so many things. And I didn't put two and two together until obviously after.
0: I don't think any of us did. And So in her research, she talks a lot about how your brain changes on birth control. And when we give birth control to women that are in a period where their brain is still developing, it affects the way their brain develops. And these hormones that we basically replace with the synthetics are then used by our brain as fuel to create the functions and fibers of our brain. And so we're basically using synthetics as part of our brain development. Mm -hmm. So you're using these synthetic hormones from the birth control for your brain to develop. So what is that doing to us? What is that doing to everything, mental health, emotional health? And then when you're on birth control, you're attracted to a different type of person. When you're on birth control, you're less likely to be in touch and in tune with your emotions. There's just so many elements that There's a lot of research coming out to support a conversation around. And I cannot believe as a culture and a society how it shaped and impacted so much of what's happening now because so many people, it was so normalized to be able to control. And I think it's normal. Like it's, and this is the thing, the beginning of the conversation, we talk a lot about the nuance of understanding and respecting the advances we've made by having birth control available to women. Like it's been incredibly powerful. I'm grateful for it. You know, I was at a point where I needed it or, you know, needed to not be pregnant at some point in my life. So there is that. So there's the two truths. And then there's also the truth of like, how has it also kept us, and this is my opinion and this is just a percolating opinion that I don't, might change tomorrow. How is it also kept us as like in the capitalism game where Mm -hmm. we're like, okay, now we're not getting pregnant for as long as we want. And now it's allowing us to advance in our careers. But how is that Mm -hmm. just more capitalism Mm -hmm. where it's like, and I don't, obviously I'm someone that advances in my career. I want that. But what's that about as the ultimate end goal for our success or for our fulfillment? Totally. Is it to not be pregnant and then also just climb the corporate ladder and like girl boss our way to the sun?
1: a hundred percent. Like
0: what's the whole goal. So I don't really know, you know, I'm exploring this with you, but I think for me, not being on birth control has been incredibly empowering and beautiful and just loving your body in such Mm -hmm. a different and unique way. I think for so many of us, it was so shameful to have a period. It was such a nuisance. I remember the birth control where like you didn't have periods and that being like amazing
1: completely. Was, I mean, I remember doubling up on pills and being like, nah, not this month. I got to go to the beach. Yeah. You're like
0: spring breaks happening. I know. It was like formal. Dude.
1: So crazy. And so, I didn't, you know, being basically being in one stage of your cycle for most of the time that, exactly. when you're on birth control, it's like, what is that doing to affecting your creativity, your emotional cycle you're Mm. you know just so much like connection to the moon connection to the moon to nature like nature Mm -hmm. I think that is what is super disturbing to me kind of this pulling away of this deep innate knowing I mean I only found out in the last few years that you can only get pregnant you know max what five six days a month if that Mm -hmm. and you know, I'm so thankful. That's why I feel like we're living at a really important time. I'm so thankful that, you know, our future daughters in quotations, where like the next generations of women that are Mm -hmm. around us will have this information and be able to make a supported, educated choice when it comes to birth control. Mm -hmm. Because I had no idea. Mm -hmm. I had no idea. Like, I just felt like that was the only way to not get pregnant, mm-hmm. you know, and I don't know, it just, it, it, to know that like my body is so incredibly complex and smart yeah. in that way would yeah. have been much more empowering. Yeah. I
0: think it's so funny how we always think we can like biohack and trick our bodies all exactly. the time. Exactly. I mean,
1: even with,
0: <laughs> even with like eating like Splenda or like a Lestra
1: or all the like diet, totally. diet, diet, food tricks. Yes. Your body is like What is this? Yeah. Hey, I'm still going to crave. Hey,
0: Hey, I'm not like a lab rat. Like, come on. In one of Sarah's posts, she says, the pill changes our naturally occurring sex hormones, which change how we feel and experience the world. And for a lot of us, this can mean depression, anxiety, lack of sexual desire, and fatigue. Once we go off of it, we are able to feel like ourselves again. Mm -hmm. Her Instagram is Sarah E. Hill, PhD. I think that's incredibly true. I remember I got switched birth control, and one of my ex boyfriends was like, "We called it the Loestrin days." Mm-hmm. It was a dark time. I Dude. was psychotic, and you yeah. know, not. <laughs> I'm not going to blame <laughs> just <laughs> that. I was also an incredible empath, mm-hmm. living in a haunted house
1: Yeah. at a
0: place I didn't like. With it was just everything was unaligned. But yeah. in addition, it was totally.
1: It was that totally. Yeah, I. You know, about the sex drive, I talk to a lot of people now who are just coming off birth control or thinking about it and having those like intimate conversations about like, I don't really want to have sex. Like, I don't really have that ability to or that desire and ability to like experience pleasure. And I mean, basically throughout my whole time that I was on birth control, I faked orgasms. 100%. I would only have them on my own. Like, I never, ever... It was definitely a habit, but then also thinking about, wow, I never allowed myself to really go there. And I think it's, you know, nuanced, but I definitely think that was like mm-hmm. a part of it.
0: Yeah. It was like a numbing. Yes. Yeah. The point around um the birth control and the attraction. So she talks a lot about how women on off birth control are more attracted to men with higher testosterone levels. And women on Mm. birth control are more attracted to men with lower testosterone levels that exhibit more feminine traits and characteristics. Mm. Fascinating. That even have a higher estrogen level. So how as a culture are we now sort of all on birth control and all sort of moving closer to the middle of polarity? Yeah. Because if we think about polarity, feminine, masculine, and not saying that either pole is better, you know, we all dance between, but it's like people when they're off birth control are attracted to different people. So now that there's been so many women on birth control, how has that changed the way that men in the masculine show up?
1: Yes. Can feel like they
0: have to be or the way that they are energetically or as like a group. Mm -hmm. Um, Yeah, it's huge. So if this one was interesting to you, highly recommend the book. This is your brain on birth control. So, so good. We also have other episodes. You can search hormones or birth control, mm-hmm. almost 30 and find a lot of resources there that will help and support your journey in educating yourself and understanding your body a little bit more because that's the goal. You know, our goal is not to shame anyone that's on birth control or mm-hmm. an IUD or whatever works best for you. Our goal is to always bring, you know, leading edge curious conversations to you all so that you can explore these topics and concepts on your own, in your sovereignty, and then make the best decision that
1: works for you. Yeah. Amen. Thank you for listening. As always, if you want to learn more about almost 30 and what we have going on, go to almost 30.com. Follow us on Instagram, almost 30 podcast. And I'm at Lindsay Simsick. I'm at it's Krista. All right. Enjoy this one. And we'll see you on the other side. We love you. All right. Well, I'm so grateful you're here. Thank you. I'm so excited to be here. Long time coming. This
0: is our audience's favorite topic ever. And so I'm excited to dig in. Um, as someone that was on hormonal birth control, got off of it, saw the effects in my life. This conversation is so relevant, and I love how the topic of birth control touches on so many different areas of healthcare, of culture, of general wellness, of like female rights. It's just really, really relevant and pertinent. But for you, you know, what made you really get on this journey where you were like, this is going to be something that I'm going to dig into deeply. And this is going to be something that I'm going to research for myself and for others.
2: Well, it was really, I was on hormonal birth control for over a decade. And during that time, I was uh, in graduate school. So I was doing my PhD work. A lot of my research had been focused on women and trying to understand women's motivational systems, trying to understand women's hormones and women's brains. And so all this time I was writing and publishing research um, on the effects of women's hormones and how that influences women and who women are and the way that they feel I love that because you're a woman and you're like, how do we feel? Well, I know. <laughs> like, tell me, re- tell <laughs> yeah, me research. Like, well, I know. It's so funny. yes. Yeah, like total research. And, um, and, you know, a lot of the research that had been done, you know, up, up until, I don't know, 20 years ago or so, a lot of things have been focused on things from a very male type perspective. And just assuming that either that men and women experience things exactly the same. And so, like, if we just study men, we'll understand how everybody works or it was, you know, things being done from sort of a male perspective about what is important to understand. So it was things like aggression. <laughs> you know, It's like, why are people jerks? And, and so it, it was really only about 20 years ago mm-hmm. that women really started getting into the field in a big way. And that's when people started to ask these really interesting questions about like, how does our cycle influence how we feel and how does our cycle influence our motivation and like what it is that we're doing. And so, I uh, entered the the field of psychology and, and research during this time when this research was first coming to surface. And I began, I got really interested in it myself. And so I started doing this research and I was on the birth control pill the entire time that I'm doing this. So I'm studying hormones and how hormones affect the brain and how women's hormonal changes across the cycle influence how women feel. But it never, <laughs> I never put two and two together. Mm-hmm. Like, I am taking a medication that is changing my hormones. Gee, I wonder if that, you know, I wonder if that influences <laughs> how I feel. And uh, then I went off of birth control. So I was on it, like I said, over over a decade and, and all the while, while I was in graduate school, and then mm-hmm. I had my children. And, um, and so I was only off of it for very short periods mm-hmm. of time before I had each of them because I got pregnant really quickly. And it was after I had my second child, about a year or so after I went off of birth control, hormonal birth control altogether. And about three months after I discontinued, I just was like, hello world. Mm-hmm. Like, I feel like I I felt like I woke up. Mm-hmm. I had noticed, like I was sort of thinking about how I was feeling and I just had more energy. I, I felt happier. I felt like exercising again. Like I I, I started going to the gym. I was downloading new music. I was like interested in thinking about sex Mm -hmm. all the time. I was like noticing attractive men. I mean, it was really, it was a total like night and day. It was like, you know, I went from like grayscale, you know, two dimensional line drawing into like, hello world. Uh, What is this? And so I started, you know, it was at that moment Mm -hmm. when I realized how different I felt that I had the really embarrassing, you know, um, like, oh, I was taking a medication that changes my Mm -hmm. hormones and I've been studying how hormones affect women and they affect, you know, who we're attracted to, how much we think about sex, the way we respond to stress. They affect mood. They affect hunger and sleepiness and energy levels. So of course, you know, of course, when you take something that changes your hormones, it's going to change all of those things. Mm -hmm. And, um, and that was when I went into the research literature to see, you know, what do researchers know and not know about the effects of hormonal birth control on our brains and the way that women experience the world. Um, and I was really shocked to see that researchers had been studying it for decades and that women just didn't know about it. And here I was, somebody who was on the birth control pill, who studies women and hormones and psychology. And I didn't know about this research. And so for me, it felt really important to be able to bring this information to other women. So that way, when women are making decisions about birth control and and hormonal birth control, that way they know what trade-offs they're making when they make that choice. Mm -hmm. And so the whole idea with the book wasn't so much, you know, it wasn't uh, birth control is bad and, you know, it's terrible. Instead, it's just like, here's, you know, what we know and what we don't yet know about hormonal birth control. And so that way, when women are making decisions about their health, they're able to do it in a way that's eyes wide open and where they know what to look for.
0: Mm-hmm. Yeah. I had a similar experience when I got off birth control too. I always say I felt like a veil had lifted. I love that. Where I was like, whoa, I really like the same. Everything kind of became into color. And I felt like I was really given the opportunity to know myself for the first time.
2: Yeah, I felt I felt really that exact same way. It was way. very spiritual. Yeah, yeah. And, it, well, no, it really is. And I had the same moment because I, you know, I had a narrative about who I was. Yes. And how I experienced the world. And then when I went off of birth control, it just, like, totally changed that narrative. Like, I had thought that I was somebody who was a little depressive. Safe. Isn't that crazy? <laughs> and, I thought I was
0: absolutely out to lunch. Like not out, not, <laughs> not even out to lunch, but I thought my moods, my moods were just yeah, completely controlled by my emotions. I'm very right. emotional anyways, but I was completely run by my emotions and the up and down and just, yeah, I felt like I was pretty depressed most of the time. And I felt like that was just who I was. I felt like that was my destiny. And so to know that it wasn't and that it was yeah. It contributed to that feeling. It wasn't the full reason for that feeling was like major.
2: Right. No, I had the exact same moment where it was like, it really turned my you know view of myself upside down because I thought, you know, originally that I was somebody who was prone to depression and moodiness and anxiety for no reason that I like had couldn't pinpoint. And then when I went off of it, it all of that went away. And then to feel so different and have to sort of revise the script that you have about yourself was really very, was very powerful.
0: Yeah. It's like beautiful because you're given the opportunity, but it's also a little heartbreaking. And I think no one from the outside would really know as much as I would because I have access to my internal landscape, but I just felt so sad at times and everything was very gray. But I think when we talk about this, there's oftentimes, you know, the little thought that comes up in my head around the people that sort of get very touchy about the subject of birth control. It's like around the feminist conversation around birth control being like a huge step in women's rights and women's like progression in the world. So what do you say to that? Like, I know in your TED talk, you had these really powerful two notes that. And I'd really love to lay the foundation of our conversation to notice those things because I think sometimes people, when they come to this conversation, they're like, well, what else are we going to do? You know, they kind of have that frustration.
2: Right. Yeah. And I I think that, you know, I think women have the right to be frustrated. Mm -hmm. So the best option that a lot of women have is hormonal birth control. You know, knowing everything that I know now at the time that I was on, I'd probably still go on it. it. It worked for me. And it helped prevent pregnancy. And, and, and the, the frustration, I think, for a lot of women, it lies in the fact that we don't have a lot more options and that we're sort of put in this position where it's like, well, we either, you know, have this like huge range of unpleasant side effects where we, yeah, like don't even really understand ourselves. And we think that we're moody and then we think that we're sad and we're not interested in sex and we're not in touch with our sort of femininity and everything is all messed up. Or we end up with a baby that we don't want, <laughs> you know. And I think that there's, you know, that that there is a lot of frustration just surrounding our lack of um, alternative options. Because as you were noting, I mean, birth control has been a really huge force in terms of women's ability to achieve economic and political independence and sort of get our sovereignty from men. Um, so we're no longer dependent on them. And birth control has uh, having reliable, safe, effective birth control has allowed us to make plans. And, you know, for so long, if you think about like the time of our grandmothers and our great grandmothers, um, if they were thinking about like going to college or, you know, God forbid, like go to get a PhD or go to law school or medical school. I mean, you're looking at something where you're not finishing up schooling until you're 30. And if you don't have reliable birth control, I mean, what are the chances you're going to end up not pregnant before that time? You know, and so birth control by sort of removing this possibility or like, you know, this idea that you could just get unexpectedly benched because of an unexpected pregnancy allowed women to achieve all of these great, you know, educational things that we've been able to achieve and um, and economic gains that we've been able to achieve um, because we've been able to plan and we've been able to say, all right, I'm going to go after this degree And I'm going to go after that degree because we can feel confident that we're going to finish. Mm -hmm. Right. And so for all of those reasons, you know, birth control and and the pill in particular, given that it is so effective, so easy to use, has really been an incredibly, you know, pivotal event in, in women's lives in terms of us, you know, being able to achieve all of the things that we've achieved. So given the importance of hormonal birth control, you know, people are afraid to have that conversation where we can talk openly and honestly about the trade-offs that women are making when they use it, Um, because there's this sort of all or nothing type of thinking where it's like, well, the birth control pill is either amazing and is a liberating force in women's lives, which it absolutely is. Or the birth control pill is evil and terrible and will cause all of these side effects and you shouldn't take it. It doesn't need to be one or the other, right? I think that we can say, yes, the birth control pill comes with a range of, of trade-offs, right? So um, it's going to influence, you know, or it can influence your mood and it can influence sexual desire and it can influence the way that, you know, the way that we respond to stress mm-hmm. and, and, and so on and so forth but also at the same time acknowledging and recognizing the important role that it's played in women's lives. I mean, I think that we can hold both truths simultaneously. I don't think that we need to, you know, sort of get into pigeonholed into Mm -hmm. this really simplistic thinking where it's either good or bad. It's like, it's both good and bad. Mm -hmm. And so, and, and I think that we're smart enough, you know, women are, we're really smart. (laughs) We are smart. (laughs) Yeah, exactly. And it's like, we can can hold both truths simultaneously. We don't need to live in this world where it's either one or the other, right? Mm -hmm. We can talk about both things. And it's been really exciting to me You know, I published, uh, this is your brain on birth control in uh, end of 2019. So Mm -hmm. it was right before the pandemic. And, you know, since the time I've published it, the number of conversations that people are having about this is just growing and growing and growing. And it's been so amazing to see that people are willing to live in this, you know, sort of uncomfortable gray space where we say that you know this is like by far the, has been the biggest tool that women have ever been given um, in terms of their upward, you know, mm-hmm. social mobility, but it is also imperfect and um, something where we need to be really pushing for the development of some new options. Mm-hmm. So that way women don't have to change who they are to protect themselves from pregnancy. Mm-hmm.
0: Yeah. Just all about the nuance of it all. And I feel like, you know, the bill of goods that I was sold was that I was educated zero percent on what it would do. I was told clear skin, bigger boobs. And when you're however old I was, which I will not say (laughs) you're like, yes, whatever. Like, and it was kind of like a, it was interesting because from a social perspective, it was kind of like a rite of passage almost where it was kind of a cool socialized thing within women in high school where it was like, had to have my alarm to take my birth control. And it, it felt like a cool part of growing up for some reason. But for the people and for women that are younger in their teens and in high school that are being put on birth control, what is happening to their brain?
2: You know, that's or the, just them in general. I mean that so that's like the eight million dollar question, right? So if you give if you give hormonal birth control to a grown-up, and for just the purposes of this conversation, we're gonna define a grown-up as somebody who's 20 years or older. Okay, because once you're 20, you're, most of your brain development is done, right? So it's not all done, but it's mostly done. And um, when you give birth control to a grown-up woman, uh, what you're doing is you're shutting down her ovaries, right? So her ovaries aren't uh, maturing an egg follicle, which is what's responsible for the release of estrogen. And it's not vac- you know, releasing an egg and then creating this empty egg follicle, which is what releases progesterone. So essentially what you're doing is shutting down the ovaries so they don't produce estrogen or progesterone. And instead you're supplanting that with these synthetic hormones, right? So every day you take this pill, um, it gives you this dose of these synthetics, and that keeps your own ovaries from producing your own levels of sex hormones, right? And um, when you do this with an adult woman, it means that it's going to change the hormonal message that her brain is receiving, right? So We know from research, for example, that um, if you give an adult woman hormonal birth control, that it's associated with increased risk of sexual dysfunction, right? And that's presumably because of this synthetic hormonal milieu that's created by these pills, right, which keeps estrogen levels really low. Um, It keeps testosterone levels really low. Mm -hmm. And it has this relatively high dose of these synthetic progestins. And all of these things are bad for sexual desire, Um, And so we see things like that, for example. So all of these are, you know, when we're giving it to adults, what we're seeing is um, how do these hormones that we're giving women that they're experiencing and that their brain is sort of reading, how does this influence Mm -hmm. the way that they think and feel and experience the world? And we can kind of go through the range of effects that you get with that in just a moment. But when we're talking about young girls, and here we'll just define young girls as 19 and younger Um, you still have a lot of brain development that's going on. And when you are experiencing post-pubertal brain development, which is all the developmental changes that go on in your brain that sort of mold it um, and take it from its like child version of itself and turns it into a grown-up brain, all of that remodeling that goes on after puberty in terms of leading to brain development um, is something that's coordinated by your sex hormones. Okay, and so during this period, you know, in your when, if you're taking these synthetic hormones, we don't know what that's doing to brain development. And th- thus far, there have been very, very few studies. I can count them on two hands. The number of studies that have been done looking at the effects of hormonal birth control pill use during adolescence. So again, during this period after you know pubert, like puberty, up until about twenty on brain development and then long-term developmental effects. But the research that has been done is beginning to point fingers at a possible link between adolescent birth control pill use, and then a greater risk of developing major depressive disorder across your lifetime, even after you're off of hormonal birth control. And that's pretty scary.
0: And depressive disorder would be periods in time where you have Depressive spells, but not clinical depression.
2: No, clinical depression. Okay, so, yeah. So, um, we're talking about the, the research looking at the developmental effects of taking hormonal birth control when you're still in in adolescence. So, again, usually between ages twelve to nineteen is how we define that. What you find is that women who take it or girls who take it during that time, throughout adulthood, they're at an increased risk of developing yet major depressive disorders. So, clinical depression.
0: Wow. This is very rudimentary, but it's like, so the body is looking via the brain to create, or what is it? To develop with the hormones that are in the body for a Mm -hmm. a woman or a girl, a young girl as defined earlier. Mm -hmm. And so because the body's not naturally producing the estrogen and progesterone, Mm -hmm. then it's taking the synthetic essentially and probably making the parts of the brain with the synthetic.
2: Yeah. So it's using, that's where it's getting its hormonal message. It's getting like a totally different hormonal message than what girls generally get during development. Because, you know, when you look at what the synthetic hormones are that are in birth control pills, what you have is you have a relatively low dose of estrogen, right? So low levels of that, and then a relatively high level of synthetic progesterone, which is called a progestin. And so you get, you know, there's sort of two things going on. One, you're getting a constant hormonal message every day. Because right. so you take that pill every day. It's sending the same message to your brain and every other part of your body that reads hormones, right? And this is different than a naturally cycling girl who goes through periods of, at, you know, the first half of the cycle, estrogen is relatively high and progesterone is very low. And then during the second half of the cycle, you get a reverse where you get relatively high levels of progesterone and then relatively low levels of estrogen, And so for a a naturally cycling girl who's developing and going through brain and her brain is developing, you know, she's, her body is learning, learning to adjust to these waxing and waning of these two, you know, really important female sex hormones. And then, you know, sort of adjusting development in a way that helps to regulate the cycle, regulate the reproductive tract, and then also to shape other parts of the brain that are influenced by hormones. And when we take a girl who's on the synthetic and they're getting the same hormonal message every day, not only is the brain not learning how to adapt to these dynamic hormonal changes, right? We don't know what that hormonal message, like getting that same hormonal message every day, like what that's doing in terms of brain development. And there's just like a big question mark on this. Um, And it's only very recently that researchers and and physicians and, and advocates for women have really started to push for, hey, like, don't you think it might be kind of a good idea to like know what this does to brain mm-hmm. development if we're going to be putting thirteen-year-old girls on it for acne? Mm-hmm. Yeah, so to to me, this is a case where um, I think we need to be very cautious with adolescent birth control mm-hmm. pill use just because we don't know. I mean, but there's every reason to believe that it's going to influence brain development. We just don't know in what ways and to what degree it matters. And I'm defining matters just in terms Mm -hmm. of like, does that actually influence, you know, any sort of development, like any sort of outcome, life outcome that girls who have used hormonal birth control during adolescence um, versus those who did not like any type of life outcomes that those two groups might have.
0: Mm -hmm.
1: That's better, slash almost 30. I am juggling quite a bit lately. (laughs) I have a new baby, Um, six months in, and uh, we are finishing our book and running a business and a marriage and a house. And um, it's just a lot, but everything is all good and just my dream, but it's a lot. But I have found that if my health Right now is the time. Symbiotica.com C Y M B I O T I K A, use our code almost30, 20% off site wide. So major. And then when you bundle and subscribe, which I highly recommend because you never want to run out of anything, uh, you're gonna get an extra discount. So just do it up. Symbiotica.com and use the code almost30 for 20% off site wide.
0: You talked about the depressive disorder as it relates to young girls. How would it affect a young girl's sex drive? Like during that time of puberty, you know, that's when I guess like a young female sex drive is sort of coming online. Mm -hmm. How would it affect her sex
2: drive? That's such an interesting question. So here's what we know from adults. Uh And again, I'm just defining adults as anybody's 20 or older. You know, we know from adult women that when you take hormonal birth control, that it is associated generally with reductions in libido. Um, And not only just like reductions in libido, but women are generally less sexually motivated. And for women, that actually extends beyond the bedroom. It even extends to things like um, the effort that they put into their appearance and like how motivated they are to be around um, potential partners. Mm -hmm. And and so, you know, sort of sexual motivation looks a lot of different ways for us, like everything from... You know the things that we do to try to get ourselves in the presence of potential partners, all the way down to like actual sexual function. And what you find is that women who are on hormonal birth control that they tend to have reductions in all of these things. And and the reason for this is that you know when you look at women's sexual desire um, and sexual motivation, the hormones that really drive the bus for women are testosterone, just like it does for men, um, and then estradiol or estrogen. And when, why'd
0: you say estradiol?
2: Yeah, estradiol. Yeah, it's, it's just that it's a type of estrogen. Okay. So, whenever we talk about estrogen, like and say, like, estrogen this and that, um, usually we're talking about estradiol. It's okay. the primary type of, of estrogen. That was, there's that was, other types. Yeah. So, like for example, when you're in men- menopause, you start releasing something called estrone. Um, which is a different type of uh, estrogen that you release after you stop ovulating. Yeah. So there's like, there's different types of, yeah, different types of estrogen. The most potent and powerful one is estradiol and it's the one that's associated with all the things that we love about estrogen.
1: Mm -hmm. And What do we love about estrogen? I don't even
2: know. Oh, I'll tell you what we love about estrogen. We (laughs) we love about estrogen that it does, it fuels the female sexual response. Mm -hmm. So it tends to, be associated with increased sexual desire. Um, but also just like feeling really sexy and vibrant and and, juicy. Yeah. And juicy. No, that's exactly it. It's like when you talk to, you know, we do these studies where we, we ask women, you know, different types of questions and, you know, just have them rating on scales, the degree to which they agree with things or don't agree with things or whatever. And it will look at women at different points in the cycle. So we'll look at them like right near ovulation when estrogen is really high. And then we'll compare them to other points in the cycle where it's low. And like one of the things that always jumps out of the surveys is like, there's this item that says, I love the way it feels on my skin when I jump into a cold pool. And it's like women who are ovulating are like, (laughs) yes. And it's like, and they want to try new things. Like they tend to be like more interested in trying new things, any type of what we call in psychology, like we call it sensation seeking, where they're just like looking for something, you know, and they feel juicy and they feel like a Like, I don't know about you. But I will never, I'll never forget. I can't wait for this. (laughs) I will never forget the first psych, the first like Mm -hmm. when I first, like, sort of had an ovulatory moment after being on the pill for so long, I was, I was getting on an airplane. I was like, I was traveling somewhere for a conference and I just felt like a tigress. I, I, yes. I was like walking through the airplane and I'm just like, you know, looking at all these, like, these, you know, sort of, and I'm just like, hello. Yes. I'm taking my, my coach seat as I walk past first thought. Yeah, know exactly. It's like, I'm going to, like, lean over and, like, put my suitcase up. Can someone help me push this up? Like, I just can't do it. I'm just a little woman. I can't do that myself. Yeah, no, so I had this, like, really, you know, like, It's powerful. It is powerful, and um, it's a confidence, really. It is. No, that's exactly it. No, I love it. That's yes, very well put. It's a confidence, and it's like a, a feminine confidence where you're just like very much tapped in to your feminine, you know, sort of energy, and and you know that everybody else is too. And there's tons of research showing that people find women more attractive and sexier, and women who are strippers earn more tip money when they're ovulating. I mean, it's magnetizing and we feel it and we know it. And uh, so that, you know, that is estrogen right there. I mean, that's, you know, estrogen does those things. And so when you take hormonal birth control and it shuts down your ovaries, so you're not producing any estrogen, and then it's just giving you these tiny amounts of estrogen in the pill form, but then giving you huge amounts of these synthetic progestins, which is synthetic progesterone. And that has the opposite effect on libido. So progesterone actually makes you not want to have sex. Mm. Um, it's associated with reductions in libido, which is why a lot of times when women, you know, in the week or so up to their period, their sex drive is just like, eh, eh, you know, it's like, I guess we could do that, or we could like play a board game. <laughs> <laughs> like we could watch Netflix, like actually watch Netflix and chill. Yeah. yeah. And so, and 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 that's progesterone. And so, like when you're taking the pill, all you're getting is that same hormonal message, which is just like watch a movie and order pizza, watch a movie and order pizza. And so you're never like getting that like, hello world, um, feeling that you get when you're naturally cycling. So you never get to experience that space of being sort of estrogen Mm -hmm. dominant, that estrogen, estrogen dominant phase in the, in the cycle. And so, um, you know, we find that women who are on hormonal birth control, they tend to have lower libido. Um, They tend to be less interested in anything related to sensation seeking. So they're not as interested in, you know, in trying new things, trying new foods, Mm -hmm. trying new experiences relative to women who are not on hormonal birth control. They tend to have a reduced sexual function. So you also... What's
0: sexual function?
2: Sexual function, we're actually talking about the nuts and bolts of the sexual response. So looking at things like lubrication looking at things like um, the ability to climax, and those things can be reduced on hormonal birth control as well for all of these reasons.
0: Wow. This is kind of a weird correlation, but because I believe that this birth control and us being on it affects so many different aspects of our culture and world, it's so interesting that I feel like so many people are on it. It's so normalized. And how when you're a young person and you get put on hormonal birth control and you're sort of in that phase where you're like, I think we all should be sexually active, but I'm not really sure what's going on. And I don't feel really sexual. And then there's like a hyper focus on the way that you look. I wonder if in our culture, we're so focused on the way that we look now, not only because of social media, but because when you have that, like the hormones turn off, Mm -hmm. you like are like, I feel like I should be sexual, but you don't feel it. So we're just kind of focused on the physical aspect of it instead of like the energetics of like actually feeling Sexy or in the mood?
2: You know that's so interesting that you say that. Like, I think that that's a, I think that's fascinating. Next book? (laughs) Yeah, no, I love (laughs) it. No, I love it. Perfect. (laughs) Write that book. I'll read it. Um, so excited about it because. So I'm thinking about this research that was done looking at. It wasn't looking at how it was sort of like women were seeing themselves, but I think that I I love this idea that it's almost like like we're not feeling it, right? Because we're not concentrated on. Um, sexiness yes. and just like that feeling of the like, sensations. Energy. Yes, exactly.
0: Sex These is sens- sensational.
2: Yeah, no, you know, you're exactly right. And so it's like you're not focusing on that, and instead it's like you're checking boxes, right? Like I'm going to have eyelashes out to here, yes, and I'm yes. going to, you know, and I'm going push to push up bras, yeah, and and yeah, boobs out to booty, there, yeah, booty workout, <laughs> booty booty out to there, yes, and um, so it's like we're making this checklist. Um, instead of actually just like feeling the sensation of of sex and when women are, who are naturally cycling, you know, so who are not on the pill um, during the phase in their cycle when estrogen is high, which again is like the sex kitten hormone that like gets us really attuned to our own sexiness and also men that when estrogen is high in the cycle, that women tend to really be tuned into these things right? They're really tuned into this sort of intangible sexiness quality in men. And when you boil down, you know, in terms of research, you know, terms, like what is sexiness in men, what a lot of research finds is that it tends to be qualities associated with testosterone, right? And so things that are associated, associated square, jaw. square jaw, deep set, you know, eyes, a dominant personality, so even like personality traits can be associated with with testosterone. So even not if it's not necessarily physical ones, being sort of charismatic and and sort of a powerful person, and women really kind of you know glom on to those qualities um, at high fertility when estrogen is high. And research has been showing this for like twenty years. Like estrogen increases women's sexual desire. Estrogen increases. Um, women's attention to sexiness in men, and and you know, and so on and so forth. And so, it was about ten years ago that researchers said, "Well, <laughs> if estrogen, you know, sort of increases the priority that women are placing on these intangible sexy qualities, what happens when women go on the birth control pill and estrogen is shut down?" And so they've looked at partner preferences um in women who uh choose their partners when they're on the pill versus off the pill and what they find is that women who choose their partners when they were on the pill are essentially doing the checkbox thing that we were talking about it's like does he have a good job check is he going to be like a good provider mm-hmm. check and you tend to find that women are more women who chose their partners when they were on the pill that they're more satisfied with these aspects of their relationships because that's what they were picking And then for women who chose their partners when they were naturally cycling, what you tend to see is that they placed a greater priority on sexiness and they tend to have more active sex lives and they tend to have more sexual satisfaction. And it's again, because they're like totally focusing on the experience that that sort of thing you were talking about instead of check, check, check. And I think that's so interesting to think about that, you know, culturally, because I think that you could be absolutely right, like dead on about just the idea that for, you know, women who are, aren't tapping into this yes. in, you know, these feelings of mm-hmm. sexiness and that sensation of just feeling like, okay, well, I guess I need to do this, yes. you know, and mark the box, mark the box. Yes. And also culturally, kind of the shift in
0: who we find attractive from a cultural perspective, like a lot of the men are less sort of the stereotypical and this isn't good or bad, but it's less sort of the stereotypical, like very masculine type man. It's more so like, yeah, it's just less of that type.
2: Right. No, I I think that you're absolutely right about that. And it'll be really interesting because, you know, like, let's say that you you and I had a time machine and we could flash forward Mm -hmm. like a thousand years. It would be interesting to see whether or not the types of qualities that are getting inherited tend to be these less masculine, mm-hmm. sort of less, you know, sexy qualities because women are choosing partners. And of course, who women chooses partners then influences the future, you know, of genes that are passed down in the next generation and seeing whether or not like as a mm-hmm. species, how much we change because of this thing that we invented.
1: That Earth is control so wild. Pill.
2: It is. Well, and I just have to tell you this crazy idea that somebody had raised to me and I'm absolutely convinced there's something to it. And, and it gets at this exact issue that you were talking about, which is just this idea that, you know, culturally what happens when you, um, shut down, you know, generations of women's ovaries, like what happens to the world? And I don't know if you know this, but, um, testosterone levels are at an all time low. Mm -hmm. So men's testosterone levels are super low relative to what they used to be. And, you know, there's a lot of reasons for this. We've got xenoestrogens, you know, all these things in our plastics that are feminizing fish and also probably men. People are heavier than they used to be, and that's something that's associated with lower levels of testosterone. But another possibility is that it's being around all of these women who are on hormonal birth control because there is research showing that, when, that men's testosterone levels increase when they're around women with high levels of estrogen because estrogen is something that, You can, um, like, there's a lot of cues that are associated with it, including some very powerful scent cues. So women smell different and taste different, um, at like, when, Yeah, really. <laughs> yes, yes. what is there the been, taste difference? I don't know. Like I'm I've not, okay. been a ta- I've not, ta- I've not taste tested this. This is, yeah. Vaginas taste different. Yeah. Vaginas <laughs> taste different. Well, that's the like, and well, even like your skin, like it, there's like reports that your skin tastes different. I'm sure. Um, and there's been a lot of, of research now, oh, gosh, several studies looking at scent and they've looked at vaginal odors, Axillary odor, so under your armpit smell, just the smell of your skin. And, and there's also reports, like I said, of, of taste differences of things all over our bodies. And all of this is, is estrogen. And there's research showing that when men are exposed to the scent of estrogen, like women who are ovulating or at this point in the cycle when fertility is high, that it increases their testosterone levels. So then when you have all of these women with really low levels of estrogen because they're on the birth control pill, what is that going to do to men's testosterone levels? Wow. So
0: fascinating. That's fascinating. Yeah, totally. Totally. That is incredibly fascinating. Because I've yeah, I've known about the other reasons, but I never actually thought about that. But yeah, it's interesting because with women, and I wonder if this is true with synthetic birth control, but oftentimes with women, if you're in groups of women, they'll start to cycle, sync together. Mm-hmm. Like I've known this with, you know, when I'm around friends in my sorority, (laughs) just kidding. But when you're around a lot of women, you start to be on the same cycle. I wonder if being on synthetic birth control, if that also would affect other women who are not on birth control because their cycle signals are off.
2: Yeah, that's really interesting. And yeah, I don't know, like it would be really interesting. Although I will say this, like the research on cycle syncing. So you know what happens? Mm -hmm. I know what happens. Everybody knows it happens. Nobody's able to capture it in research. Wow! So there's no support right now. It, all the research shows like, oh, no, there's not a cycle sinking effect. Women don't really do this. I don't believe it. I just don't think it's been studied using the right tools. I feel like we need more sophisticated mm-hmm. statistical tools to really get at the phenomenon because every... Women, we all know it happens, yes. we've seen it happen, yes. <laughs> it's like it happens, and so you know, so with that caveat being set aside, assuming it does happen, which even though, like I said, even though it hasn't been captured in research, I, I still think it's a thing. I think that it's going to be captured. It's just a matter of, of being a little bit more clever with the way that we study it. Um, so if we assume that it happens, what does happen if a woman is on synthetics and does a naturally cycling woman? Sink to that synthetic cycle Mm -hmm. or not, and yeah, and I don't know the answer. Which is the more dominant cycle? Yeah, well, (laughs) which cycle wins? Right, exactly. Well, and I've always wondered that too. Within groups of women, is it like is it a
0: good one?
2: Yeah, like do women sink to the cycle of the the most dominant sort of group member, or like
0: the highest estrogen level of someone? That's interesting. Of thinking about women in groups in that way, I'm sure there could be research done with tribes or small forager groups on cycle syncing. So you're saying, you're like, I think we'd have to do a more clever type of study. And it's so interesting. Have you felt like this in research where it's like, we all know this happens Mm -hmm. and this is sort of a culturally accepted thing, like women know, but in the research, do you find that you have to position things in a very specific way so that that it's accepted by a masculine dominated um, structure?
2: Right, yeah, no, that's a really great question. I think that, so this is a really, this is actually the perfect example, I think, because there have been maybe two to five studies looking at cycle syncing, right? And they were done on very small sample sizes. So not like, you know, a really- Like a birthday no- sleepover. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> yeah, yeah. It's like one night. Like a bachelorette, Yeah, exactly. <laughs> and it was like self I mean, it was just like not, they weren't that well done. But because, you know, women are saying, no, this happens. And men are like, like mm-hmm. it's, it's like they don't believe it. Every, everybody's like the if the, the party line is there's no cycle sinking right So men are like nope, there's no cycle sinking. that's just women imagining this thing going on again, you know crazy women with their crazy ideas about their bodies and it, it, it's very quick to dismiss the idea that this doesn't happen based on very little evidence because you know absence of evidence is not evidence of absence. And so just not being able to capture something doesn't mean it does not exist. And I um, mean, this is, this is one of those cases. And I think that if this was something different, right, if this was not mm-hmm. something that women know happens and that, and that we're the ones sort of reporting on, that the, the standards of evidence would be completely different. Yes, And even with all of this research on the, on the ovulatory cycle, so again, you know, the ovulatory cycle is just our um, what we refer to as the menstrual cycle, just because ovulation is the main event you know, there's been in the last 20 years, this research looking at the way that women's changing hormones over the cycle influence their attraction to men and their sexual interests and their motivation and so on and so forth. There is more scrutiny on that research than there is on any research on any other topic in, in the entire field of psychology. There's so much scrutiny on it. And it's because it's looking at women and it's looking at our hormones And the people who are like manning the witch hunt, who are like looking to say, no, this research doesn't matter. And no, women don't change, um, you know, how they feel across the cycle. It's men. Of course. And it's men who um, are essentially saying like, this thing that you say is important, isn't actually important. And when you look at the data, the data support that, yes, this is a real phenomenon, and, uh, and when you talk to women and like the way that it actually influences their lives, it is absolutely a real phenomenon. Like, I don't know naturally cycling women who say, oh, no, I feel exactly the same every day, mm-hmm. like every day. Like, there's no changes in my libido. There's, I mean, there's no changes in my mood. Or, no. It's like
0: the journey, the joy of the journey of being a woman. Yeah. Know, They're like, totally. how would you describe yourself? You're like, what day? Yeah, exactly. What day? It's who like, who am I? How do I feel? Yeah. Exactly. Um. What is the effect of, st- of stress? Because I know cortisol, because cortisol is a hormone as well. Mm-hmm. So how does it yeah. affect when you're on birth control? How is your cortisol affected?
2: And that's a really great question. And in, in a lot of ways, this question was one of the things that really sort of opened my eyes to just how pervasive the effects of hormonal birth control is on women. Because I was, I was actually at a a research talk by a colleague of mine, and he was giving a presentation about the effects of childhood trauma um, on the way that adults respond to stress, right? And I was always, I'm, I'm interested in trauma. And I look at early life stress and some other things as well in my research. And I was sitting in this presentation and he's talking about his data collection and how he had you know this huge sample of men and women come into the research lab and they stressed them all out and then they measured their cortisol <laughs> response to stress to see how they respond yeah. to stress. And he said, uh, and although we collected two hundred and fifty women and two hundred and fifty men, we only looked at the we only used the data from the men in our sample. and the reason we only looked at the men, was because almost all of the women that were in the study were on hormonal birth control, and women who are on hormonal birth control don't have a cortisol response to stress. And then he just went on to talk about stress, and I was like, just, sure. "Wait, hold on, like, yeah. shut up, like, yeah. wait, can you talk about the thing about what? What?" And so I, I went up and I talked to him after the talk, and I said, "What do you mean, women on the birth control pill don't have a cortisol response to stress?" Um, and he said, "Oh no, they don't. Research has been showing this for years." And so that was one of those things where I was like, Oh my God, of course, of course that's messed up. You know, like hormones affect everything in the body, especially sex hormones. And so of course it's going to affect stress and cortisol. And and, and so just like to, to back up and like why that's important, you know, we think about cortisol. Like if I say cortisol to you, you're probably thinking like the bad guy in the movie, right? (laughs) Because, you know, we think about stress and it's like, we think about cortisol and, um, And too much cortisol, you know, is bad and it's associated with stress. And and stress is bad, you know, it's bad for our health, it's bad for our relationships, you know, it's bad for everything. But cortisol isn't what causes stress, right? Cortisol is what our body releases in response to stress to cope with stress. And so cortisol is something that when we're experiencing something stressful, we absolutely want to have it on the scene. Um, Because what it does is it primes our brain to learn. So that way we can um, be quick on our feet and we're able to um, remember and learn from the stressful experience that we're undergoing. So that way, if we encounter something similar in the future, we're better prepared. It dumps fat and sugar into our bloodstream. So that way, if we need to make a quick getaway, we can. And also having a lot of fat and uh, sugar in our bloodstreams allows us to think quickly because our brain is a glucose hog and it uses a lot of our body's energy. And so it's essentially making all of this energy available so we can be quick on our toes and be able to think really quickly. Um, and so having a dynamic cortisol response to stress is something that's a very functional part of being a human, like an adult human being. And to learn that an otherwise healthy adult isn't experiencing cortisol in response to stress is really alarming. And it's really alarming because one, you know, it means that they're going to be less, able to cope with stress, which they seem to be. There's a lot of research linking a, a what we call like a blunted cortisol response or no cortisol response to stress with a lack of ability to cope with stress and things like major depressive disorder, which is something that can set in when you're repeatedly exposed to stress that you can't cope with. Yeah, I was thinking about that with anxiety.
0: Yeah. It yeah, would be exactly. like your body's like, I'm stressed, but I can't yeah, like, figure I can't- out how to deal with
2: it. I feel... Yeah. Overwhelmed, like completely overwhelmed. Mm -hmm. And then it just shuts down and can turn into depression. And so to see this was very alarming. And I went back to the research literature and lo and behold, um, researchers since the 1990s have been publishing on this lack of cortisol response um, in response to stress among among pill-taking women. And nobody really currently knows exactly why this is. But when you look at all of the evidence from the research, what looks like happens is that when women start taking hormonal birth control, and I think it's the synthetic progestins that do this, but something in the chemical structure of something, and again, I think it's the progestins, um, is overstimulating our glucocorticoid receptors, which are the receptors in our brain and throughout our body that read the hormone cortisol. And so something about the chemical structure of the progestins is probably overstimulating our cortisol receptors which makes our body think that it's under chronic stress, right? And when the body is under chronic stress, like think like nonstop, like warfare, like the type of stuff that causes PTSD, what the body does is it shuts down the stress response. And it just says, nope, not today, Satan. (laughs) It's just like, I'm not, we're not going to have any stress response. And in fact, like one of the hallmarks of PTSD is having no, no cortisol response to stress. And it's because when the body is super stressed, it just shuts down the stress response and says, forget this. We can't do this. It's too much. And that's what looks like goes on with the pill.
0: That is so
1: crazy.
2: I know it's so crazy. And and you know, with this one, there's been some research looking at like sort of recovery of libido, for example. Yes. Um, after, after. you dis yeah, after you discontinue the pill. Um, there hasn't been any research that I've seen. That is yet sort of asked that question about the stress response. Like, does it respond? And, you know, if it sort of does bounce back and then you start to respond to stress in a sort of normal way after you discontinue the pill, what's the timeline? Like, how long is it that, you know, until you start to feel normal again?
1: Okay. I need to introduce you to a revolutionary new app, um, Superhuman. It was a seven-minute, really vibey writing activation that I love. So I had my journal out. Um, yesterday I did a pep talk uh about tackling procrastination. There's a part of me that procrastinates quite a bit. So I'm just I love this. I love this. There's going to be an activation for you, for this moment, for this day. Uh, it's incredibly supportive. So
0: Have you any, had any testing done yourself where you could see the cortisol levels? Because I've had testing done where my cortisol levels were, you know, sometimes off, sometimes not. But I wonder if that would indicate a bouncing back.
2: Right. Yeah, maybe. Maybe. On
0: a personal level.
2: Yeah. You know, it's really interesting. We run a lot of these stress studies. So we actually just wrapped one up. What and do you do to stress them out? It, oh, gosh. It's so awful. I don't want to know. <laughs> We make them give a spontaneous speech oh. in front of three people in a video camera. And the people are like kind of making grumpy faces at them. And they have to like talk well, about why, why they deserve their dream job. And if oh. they discontinue the, the speech before five minutes is up, they say, no, keep talking. And then they, we make them count backwards in steps of 11 from 1000, like 253. And if they make a mistake, we make them start all over again. And so by the end of it, they're pretty stressed out because we've been, we've been really interested in looking at uh, inflammation and how the inflammatory response changes in response to stress based on whether you are on the pill or off of it. Tell me what you're finding. What we find is that the inflammatory response is definitely different between uh, women who are on the pill and who women are off of it. And that like you have different types of inflammation and um, the types of inflammation that women tend to respond to um, in response to stress, like looks this, like looks one way. And then the way that men tend to respond to stress with inflammation looks another way. And women who are on the birth control pill look more like men. Yeah. Like, so their, their inflammatory response, which is more, better, yeah. <laughs> <laughs> which I means think, it's better. <laughs> I, I, I would say, I don't, I don't think so. I I'm don't completely think so. Kidding. Yeah. With, yeah. um, I guess,
0: how do you define inflammation? Because I don't even, I feel like it's such a broad topic. Like what is inflammation?
2: Okay. So inflammation is created by the immune system. Usually when when we're looking at inflammation, we're looking at the release of pro-inflammatory cytokines. Mm -hmm. So cytokines are, they're they're like hormones. They're like the immune system's hormones. So Mm -hmm. the immune system releases these signaling proteins, which in addition to like telling the immune system to send, you know, cells to the site of injury or, you know, just to have them circulating, like when you're stressed out, it also, uh, they also are able to cross, like they're able to influence neural transmission. So they influence the brain. And so inflammation, we're talking about these pro-inflammatory cytokines, Mm -hmm. which, yeah, yeah, they recruit um, immune cells and then also influence how we think and feel and behave.
0: Wow. Yeah. Wow. Something that you you talk about a little bit or in the book, which is related to epigenetics in that field of epigenetics, what is that conversation around this effect of birth control and epigenetics?
2: You know, that's like such a cool question and it's not one that there's a good answer to. Mm-hmm. So this is one of those things that there's a, that there's question marks about, mm-hmm. but we don't really have any answers because we don't know, you know, when we just think about like what is Um, the effect of using hormonal birth control on ourselves, like what, and then how does that influence by whether we take it early in development or later in development when we're an adult? Um, There's also the question of how does does taking that then influence our, you know, like what genes are expressed in our children Mm -hmm. that we have later? And how does it influence like what sort of genes are turned on and turned off within our own genome? And there's not a whole lot of answers to that just yet.
0: I think it would also be impacted by the choice of mate. Yes. So if you're choosing a different mate because you're on birth control and you have a different perspective of what's attractive or not, then that would also influence your genetics of your children too.
2: Yeah, no, absolutely. And there is a, some really um, interesting research showing that, you know, naturally cycling women, and again, this is particularly at near times in the cycle when um, estrogen is high and like close to ovulation, that women tend to prefer the scent. Of genetically dissimilar men. Um, and this is actually something that's very adaptive to prefer a partner who's, who's different from you immunologically, mm-hmm. um, because it, it will increase the sort of, at least the, the theory goes, that it'll increase the health of your children. Because if you choose somebody as a partner who has different immune genes than you have yourself, then it's going to increase the number of different types of germs that your kids are able to pick up on. Um, just because of the way that all of the genetics work with this particular part of the immune system, which I won't get into. But it's, so, so essentially it's this idea that we might be able to smell the scent of people who are genetically compatible to us, um, particularly at points in the cycle when estrogen is high. And research finds that when women are on the birth control pill, and again, we're keeping estrogen really low, and they find that you don't have this preference. And that sometimes some researchers have found that women who are on the pill actually prefer the scent of men who have immune genes that are similar to their own. And so all of these things could potentially have an impact on, on, on the health of the children. And, you know, one thing that I've been uh, really interested in studying, and I'm actually, I'm having a research call with, do you know, natural cycles? Yeah. Yeah. I work with them. Oh, do you? I so, love them. Oh, so, oh, well, I work with them too. Amazing. <laughs> yeah, no, they're, they're the awesome. Best. No, they're the best. Mm-hmm. And so um, I've been doing research with them for the, the past couple of years, just to better understand women and understand better women's cycles. And, and we recently finished a study that um, I'll give you a little spoiler alert about where we look at the frequency of sexual behavior mm-hmm. among women who chose their partners when they were on the pill or off the pill. And we look at their sexual behavior over the course of the cycle because they log sex and they log libido. And what we found was that women who chose their partners when they were on the pill there were no differences in their libido over the cycle, right, compared to women who chose their partners off the pill. So they had the same type, like, level of sex drive. But when you look at actual sexual behavior over the course of the cycle, the women who chose their partners on the pill, you're having much less sex than women who chose their partners while they were naturally cycling. Wow. And again, which is consistent with this idea of when you're mm-hmm. not on the pill and you're really tapped into, like, sexiness and just, like, what you feel mm-hmm. – that that's going to increase the probability that you choose a partner that's just delicious to you and that you just like want to sit on their lap and make out with them all day, mm-hmm. right? And then if you choose somebody, you know, when you're on the pill, you're more likely to choose the check boxes, like check, You're like check. looking at their LinkedIn profile. You're like, <laughs> this works. <laughs> so, yeah, you're like, okay, he went to a good school. Yeah, it's like nice picture. Yeah, and so one thing that we're doing with them right now, I want to look at whether women choose their uh, partners on or off the pill and then the length of time Um, that they spend on their trying to conceive journey. Mm. And do we get differences in the rates of spontaneous or unexplained infertility when you have women who are trying to get pregnant when they chose their partner when they were on the pill? Mm. Because if they weren't like sort of honing in on some of these qualities that would be associated with health of offspring and genetic compatibility... It could potentially make it more difficult for them to conceive, increasing their probability of of having difficulty getting pregnant. And then, of course, I, we would like to follow up with them to then also see, like, how healthy are the kids? Yes. Like, are the kids healthy? Like, how is the pregnancy? How healthy is the pregnancy? And so uh, that's my research meeting this coming week.
0: Wow. Yeah. Have you found impacts on fertility and getting pregnant for people that are on birth control? Has it impacted people's ability to be pregnant and have healthy pregnancies?
2: The short answer is no, right? So there's been a lot of research into this question, as you might imagine, and there's no evidence showing that, that there's any differences in fertility of women who were ever users of birth control or never users of birth control. But this being said... Well, the one difference that they find is that there's a little bit of a lag time difference where I think that it's like, just because if you were on the pill, it can take a month or two months to be able to start ovulating again. Um, but other than that, they don't find any differences the, you know, sort of like broadly speaking though, this isn't a, a something that's like caused by the pill, but it's influenced by the pill. Mm-hmm. You know, women are having children later than ever before. And of course, as you get older, it's mm-hmm. more difficult to get pregnant And when we're on the pill, a lot of times what happens is you end up staying non-pregnant for a really long time. And I think that because, you know, the pill sort of allows us to um, not have to get pregnant when it's not convenient for us, that, you know, culturally it's been associated with reduced fertility just simply because women are waiting to longer to have babies. But on an individual level, it is not related to reductions in fertility.
1: Mm.
0: So for someone that is on birth control right now, is on hormonal birth control, what would be the process for getting off of it? Is there anything that they need to know for getting off of it or anything to support them in that journey?
2: Yeah, that's a really great question. I think that a lot of women are really terrified of going off of the birth control pill because they, they think that, you know, they're going to go through these like terrible experiences and they don't know what to expect. And so I just want to reassure people that it's, it, it, you know some women will experience some unpleasant symptoms for like one to three months generally. And when I say unpleasant symptoms, sometimes you might have a few breakouts, your periods might be irregular. They might not come back right away. They might come back twice a month for a little period of time some women report having a huge surge in sex drive when their sex hormones sort of come back on the scene. Cool. Yeah, I know. say that doesn't sound terrible to me. <laughs> yeah, I know. It's like it's like the best thing that's happened. <laughs> Are you kidding me? But for a lot of women, it's not that big of a deal. You know, they they're sort of they're able to seamlessly transition off. That was the case for me. I didn't really notice anything mm-hmm. until a couple months later, and then I was just like, "Hello, world!" Mm-hmm. Like, yeah. But things that women really can consider taking to support themselves as naturally cycling women, the three things I recommend every woman take. And I'm not like, I don't sell supplements and, you know, so it's like, this is all very, and it's all very inexpensive stuff. I recommend magnesium because magnesium is, it's very supportive of menstrual cycle health and it's also associated with mental health.
0: It's a wonder mineral.
2: It is a wonder mineral.
0: It's my it's my number one recommendation. Me
2: too. Yeah, sleep, no. staying regular. Yep, everything. 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 Knows the best. So magnesium's number one. Number two is zinc, and number three, number three is B six. And Why so B six, um, also is something that really supports women's sex hormones. Okay, and and it just also uh, supports mood and energy levels and metabolism. So it's like B6 is a good one. You know, any sort of a B complex vitamin Mm -hmm. should generally have enough B6 in it, but definitely um, some B6 as well. And always vitamin D because we're also deficient.
0: Mm -hmm. Okay. So for anyone that's currently on non-hormonal IUDs, are people finding, are there similar effects of non-hormonal types of birth control like that? Or is it just hormonal that's impacting people in, in these ways?
2: It's just the hormonal stuff that has, you know, a lot of these effects of, you know, the stress response and libido and mood and partner choice. Anything that's, that, that's sort of shutting down your ovaries, which uh, these hormones do, um, will have that range of effects. Um, the effects of things like non-hormonal IUD, for example, mm-hmm. um, are going to be different. And because it's not a hormonal product, it's not going to be shutting down the ovaries. But that being said, um, when you're on the copper IUD, there have been some reports of, you know, some women do experience things like anxiety mm-hmm. and depression when they're on it. And sometimes they're, and their doctors will tell them that it's all in their head, right? The classic doctor line, mm-hmm. like there's no hormones in there. so you should be feeling just fine. And, uh, but no, the, the copper IUD can cause an inflammatory response. And some women's, uh, systems are incredibly sensitive to inflammation. And one thing that we know that inflammation tends to do in the brain, anxiety, depression. And so, you know, if you are on a non-hormonal product, it's, you're going to reduce the probability of having psychological side effects relative to the copper IUD Mm -hmm. But if you take, if you're using the copper IUD, that doesn't mean that you're necessarily out of the woods. So don't like, you know, don't dismiss your own sort of perceptions of what's happening. If you do experience psychological side effects on the copper IUD.
0: Yeah. I think that's the biggest thing, you know, we're one of the biggest things with this. It's like not dismissing your own intuition and your own beliefs and your own experience. And I think so many of us have had that dismissed for so long that we end up not trusting ourselves. We end up giving our power away. And we sort of allow the narrative to be that we're just crazy. We're making it up, you know, kind of that type of thing. Um, Just as a last question, I'd love to hear about just any new research that you've found that you've been like so excited about or you found incredibly profound.
2: Oh, gosh. So the natural cycles study that I just told you about, the one where we were looking at um, the differences in sexual behavior of women who chose their partners on or off of the pill was something that was incredibly provocative. Um, and just given the number of women who were in the sample and like that were able to look at it in this really non-reactive way of having them it, you know, just logging their sexual behavior over the cycle. That really, to me, was so validating of like what, you know, I'd, I'd heard from women talking about Um, And then to be able to see that play out in research was really exciting for me. Another one that I'm really interested in um, is this link between birth control pill use and the experience of mystery symptoms. So I had this experience very much, and it was when I was on a particular type of, of hormonal birth control it was a vaginal ring.
0: Which one's that one?
2: <laughs> it, was a, it was the, don't play, like, I don't want to, I don't want to defame, but there's a vaginal ring. Okay. You just put it up. You just put it up there and, and it releases hormones. Okay. And not everybody has this response. I thought response. it was like a spermicide. No, no, there is one of those too. Okay. No, this is a vaginal ring that releases hormones throughout the month okay. and they usually replace it once a month. Okay. And not everybody might have this effect, but when I was on it, I was constantly having mystery symptoms. Like I was like, I can't breathe. They're like, I have this weird itchy rash. I was at the doctor constantly. And it was like, and my doctor was like, I don't know what's wrong with you. (laughs) Like I don't know what's wrong with you. And one would expect that this could happen because progestins can modulate what goes on with the immune system. Okay. And our immune system, when our immune system is telling our body that something's not right, that's what creates the experience of like anxiety over like weird symptoms, right? So in part, those, those feelings that we get when we're like, what's going on in my body? Why does it feel this way? I feel anxious about that. What is that? That is our nervous system and our immune system working together to put together, you know, sort of action that will get us to fix a problem, mm. right? And it's kind of like when you feel sick, that's like your immune system telling your brain, like, go and do something, you know, take care of yourself, get some medicine, you aren't well. And so I was really interested in whether the, the synthetics in birth control pills would actually, because they, they influence the immune system. And we know that because progesterone is a very powerful, it's, it's called an, immuno, an immunomodulatory hormone. It just means that it affects the immune system. So progesterone affects the immune system. The birth control pill is therefore going to affect the immune system. And could it be that these changes might be responsible for women's experience of mystery symptoms? And we are finding in fact, that women who are users of hormonal birth control, that they are experiencing more sort of mystery symptoms. And now we're trying to better understand the role of immunological changes Mm -hmm. that occur in response to birth control pill use on that. I'm really excited about that because I really love the idea of being able to validate women's experiences of what's going on in their body, because that's like such a powerless situation when you're a woman and you feel like your body's falling apart and it's doing all these things and you have all these symptoms and you don't know why your doctor doesn't believe you. Mm -hmm. um, And to be able to say, yes, there's a reason. Here's what it is, and here's what's happening. So, both to validate and then to relieve fear um, from women, like that's really exciting to me. Especially for those that are immunocompromised, Mm
0: -hmm. immune disorders and immune, immunological, I guess, symptoms, I guess, are on the rise. Yeah, like like autoimmunity. Yeah, yeah. Autoimmune is on the rise. So, I wonder if that has to do with it too.
2: Oh, absolutely. Yeah. And there's been some work. I mean, given the, sort of effects of progesterone on the immune system. There's been a lot of research recently looking at the role of birth control pill use and the likelihood of developing autoimmunity of different types. And there is an association between birth control pill use and certain types of autoimmune disease. And we know that autoimmune diseases are very much hormonally mediated. I mean, women suffer from them. I forget what the rate is, but it's like 10 times as frequently as men or something it's like it is a big sex difference and we tend to see that they you know the probability of autoimmunity increases near puberty and then it de- you know as you enter menopause it goes away um your, your symptoms get alleviated and so we we know it's hormonally that that they're hormonally mediated in some way and so that's that's one of the other sort of frontiers in in research right now is trying to better understand the role of women's sex hormones, and then also synthetics on the development of autoimmunity.
0: It's so mind-blowing how many aspects of our lives that this seems to touch. It's like culturally, how there's a shift culturally from like the standard ideas of masculinity, it feels like, to like a more softer, more feminine type. And then there's also around in culture when we're talking about the obsession with looks rather than the obsession with like the sensational experience within the body. And then there's also the immune rise of autoimmune conditions. There's also the lowering of testosterone in men, which leads to a cascade of different things in a man's life that can really impact them and mental health issues too. the impact on mental health, the impact on libido, which impacts like relationships between people um, and the desire to have sex. It's really wild.
2: It is really wild. I mean, to say that, you know, so the British version of this book is called How the Pill Changes Everything. And I think it does. I think it does. It changes everything. You know, it's like when we think about the fact that our hormones are part of what our brain uses to create who we are, right? And so then we give these to generations of women. That's going to change what individual women do, and women don't live in a vacuum, right? We live in a world, right? And so, when we change what women do, it's going to change what their friends do. It's going to change what their, you know, who the romantic partners are that they choose. It's going to choose what jobs they go into. It's going to choose their career preferences. I mean, the way that this has changed our world and touched our world already is staggering.
0: Staggering. Totally. Last question: Is it as it, so? When I think about this, I think about the impacts on the West because that's where I live and that's where I grew up. But are the impacts of birth control seen from a global perspective in the same way? Or is the birth control really focused on the West?
2: When you look at the rates of use, it's definitely higher in the West. I mean, the Western world, you see the highest rates of birth control use. And so it'd be really interesting to look at sort of culturally how this ends up you know, sort of shaping the way that our culture evolves Mm -hmm. um, versus the cultures that do not use birth control use and just sort of seeing like, like you're talking about, right? These like cascading effects of, you know, these ripple effects of, of pill use and how that sort of changes the world over time.
0: Can't wait. And for recommendations for naturally cycling women, what would you suggest?
2: Oh no, I love I love uh, natural cycles, and today they just announced they're partnering with Aura Ring. Oh my which god, is I make... love or- my aura yeah, Ring. Yeah, I know it's like going to make life so much easier. Wait, you're allowed for... to do that. Um, do your to... temperature then with your Aura Ring? Yeah. Whoa. Totally. I know. Take all my data. I know. It's just like seriously, like so. It's so smart. So um, I think something like that is like hugely important in terms of like getting in touch with your body. I really like, I really like flow Mm -hmm. also is they flow. Yeah. No, I love flow too. They're great. I think that that's another really good one in terms of getting in, getting in touch with your um, cycle and then, yeah, just those vitamins that we talked about, you know, and then there's like other great resources. There's some great reading by Dr. Jolene Brighton wrote a book beyond the pill and Dr. Laura Brighton wrote the period repair manual. Which if you're somebody who has irregular cycles, you have PCOS or endometriosis, one of these conditions that doctors almost always just prescribe people the pill um, to try to, you know, treat. Laura Bryden's uh, book does a really good job of like helping you identify like what you can do that's not the birth control pill and try to get your period back on track. And, and her and she's super smart and it's very effective stuff. So those are other things I would recommend for Love women. Love it.
0: Beautiful. This was so exciting. Thank oh. you so much for
2: joining. Thanks. And I'd also like to say my own book. <laughs> I mean, <laughs> that's so funny. That's the major. Duh. Duh. Yeah. That's so funny. I'm like, well, I recommend everybody else's books. They're so good. I'm like, I think I wrote say one of those more. too. It's pretty good. Yeah. Yeah. So of course, um, this is your brain on birth control, that, which of course I wrote to sort of detail the different ways that a pill influences women's brains and behavior. And then also, you know, just sort of giving them a snapshot of what's in different types of birth control. And so that way they can better troubleshoot if they're on it to help find one that works for them.
0: Love that. We'll have it in the show notes and everything too. Thank you so much for your work. Thank you for all that you do. I really appreciate it. And I'm so glad that we're at a point where this conversation is like people want it and they're less scared of it. It feels less radioactive
2: when we're kind of like talking
0: about it. So I'm so grateful to bring this info to our audience today. Thank you.
2: Thank you for having me. This was so fun.
0: Thank you again to Sarah Hill. Her Instagram is Sarah E.
1: Hill, PhD, and the book is Brain on Birth Control. And thank you for listening. As always, if you loved this episode, one of the best things that you can do is share with a friend. It starts a conversation and i found in our community that it just brings you closer together to have these more thoughtful, meaningful conversations. So share it with a friend. And again, if you want to learn more about almost 30, go to almost 30.com. We have
0: courses and programs that we have uploaded that you can get evergreen now. So if you want to get sacredness of being single or life edit or love one or podcast pro, anything that we've done from an almost 30 perspective is now available evergreen in our shop. So at almost 30.com, you can grab it. Highly recommend, and we'll see you on the next one.
1: Love you guys. Bye. Bye.